Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. The word scandal or stumbling block frequently occurs in Matthew. It's as important for his book as the word immediately is in the Gospel of Mark. In light of the prohibition against causing others to stumble in chapter 18, those not following the original Greek text often assume that to scandalize is taboo. But throughout the story, Jesus himself repeatedly causes scandal. So what's a good scandal? How can you tell it apart from the kind of scandal Jesus condemns in chapter 18? Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 7 to 10. This year's Biblical Symposium of the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies will be held online Saturday, June 13, 2020. Space is limited to 100 attendees, so register today by going to ephesusschool.org. Father William Mills, author of Losing My Religion, is the featured keynote speaker. Other presenters include the very Reverend Dr. Paul Nadim Tarazi, Dr. Nikolai Roddy, Professor of Hebrew Bible and Old Testament at Creighton University, and Dr. Richard Benton and Father Mark Bulos of the Bible as Literature podcast. Register today by going to ephesusschool.org. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 331 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We talk a lot on this program, Richard, about the question of scandal. And you've been pushing the text in Matthew to try to understand how the Gospel of Matthew in particular uses this phrase. What I find interesting is that it is more akin to the function of Satan in Scripture. Satan in Hebrew means obstacle. It's more akin to that function than to the modern usage in English where the word scandal or the verb scandalize pertains to an offense against someone's sensibilities. In English, if you make a statement that undermines a person's premise, it's very possible in our usage in the English language that that person could claim to be scandalized by what you said. But that's not what's going on in Matthew, is it? In Hebrew, you talked about it last week, the image of walking on the path is central. If you're on the wrong path and you turn, shuv, to the correct path, we call that conversion or repentance. If you're on the correct path and you turn from that path, then we call that apostasy or rejection. Now, scandalon is the stumbling block. It's the thing that prevents you from walking on the correct path. To scandalize somebody, therefore, 
is to be the stumbling block or to cause another person who is walking on the path to stumble. In English, scandal or scandalize has this kind of emotional sense of like upsetting somebody or shocking someone. Whereas in Greek, it's really about following the path and causing someone to no longer follow in that path. We're following the passage where Jesus is saying that you may not cause one of the little ones who trust in Jesus to turn from the path. The goal of the teacher is to uphold the student who wants to continue on the path and to give them the instruction they need in order to continue. The scandals that we're concerned about here are those things that would prevent anyone from following in the path, but here specifically in Matthew 18, it's the little ones, mikron. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. In an attempt to be socially acceptable, teachers of Scripture will often try to avoid difficult ideas under the guise of not offending those in their care as students, and they refer to anything offensive in the text as a stumbling block, as though by repeating the teaching, you could scandalize someone in the English sense of the term and turn them away from God. I want to say up front that that understanding of what it means to be, quote, pastoral is anti-scriptural. I find it interesting in this passage, Richard, where we're talking about making sure we don't cause any obstacles on the path of wisdom— it's striking that one of the most scandalous precepts of the Gospel of Matthew <laughs> is just one verse away. So we have to be serious and be attentive to the text. Do not say when you hear something that is scriptural that you don't like or that offends your sensibilities, do not say that's a stumbling block. On the contrary, it could be the staff of the shepherd giving you a swift kick to get you back on the path. Heaven forbid you refer to that stern kick as a stumbling block. Yes, it offends your sensibilities. It's definitely uncomfortable. But if it's putting you back on the path, then it functions in service to the will of the Father. Matthew makes such a big deal about scandals, and this section here just has such a concentration of the word that it's unmistakable. I mean, we talked about scandalizing the little ones in the last episode, but the word appears three times in a single verse, imagining that it means not shocking the sensibilities of somebody. I mean, when Jesus had performed amazing feats and was talking to the disciples of John, he said, after talking about these amazing feats, he hopes that no one is scandalized by these amazing works. When Jesus goes back to his hometown synagogue, the people at the same synagogue can't hear his teaching because they know all of his relatives, and they were scandalized. What's the similarity between these two? One is that Jesus seemed too ordinary. You know, we know all of his relatives. What's the big deal about this guy? And in the other instance, Jesus seems 
to amazing. He's performing all kinds of amazing feats. So what is scandalous about Jesus? What's scandalous about Jesus is what he teaches. Someone who preaches the truth is going to be mistreated and killed. The scandal that any one of Jesus' disciples might contribute to or might become for others is leading them off the path. If they do so, the fate, as we heard before, is worse than being drowned. Just take that example from the previous passage, the threat that the one who causes the weaker brother to stumble and fall off the path would be thrown into the bottom of the sea. If the governor of the state of Minnesota were to stand up and say, those who don't follow safety protocols in order to protect the vulnerable among us will be tied to a heavy cement weight and dropped in the Mississippi. I mean, if the governor actually said that, that would be, in the English sense of the word, a scandal. It would be scandalous. It would offend people's sensibilities. But that's exactly what Jesus says. And this next one is even more interesting. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. This, in the English sense of the word scandal, is scandalous. It's offensive. In the biblical sense, though, it's not. The Lord is warning those who would teach the weaker brother within the church or in the broader community that you are in danger of causing the weaker brother to stumble, and you now need to make sure that you don't stumble yourself so that you can protect the weaker brother. Your hand is the part of the body that you commit deeds with. Your foot in the wisdom literature of the Bible is either on the path or off the path. So if the thing you do with your hand or the place that your foot steps takes you off of the path, you're better off cutting them off. This is a beautiful verse. It is not politically correct. It is not remotely acceptable in respectable circles to talk this way. It would be, quote, scandalous. If someone said this in a corporate setting, you'd be in front of HR within 15 minutes explaining yourself. I'm emphasizing this, Richard, because I want to dispel once and for all the myth that being pastoral means babying your students. People are not fragile. They're capable of hearing. They're capable of learning, and we sell them short every single day because we're worried about people's feelings instead of caring for their intellect so that they can grow to full maturity in the gospel. As Chrysostom teaches us, you can't become truly an adult unless you're formed by Scripture. 
So I'm going to keep going back to the definition of uh, skandalon, that it is the satan, the roadblock that you trip over, the thing that causes you to disobey the instruction. The stumbling block in the biblical sense could be something that seems pleasing to human ears. In fact, that's normally what it is. It comes to you as something appealing, whereas what Jesus teaches comes to you from your human perspective as something offensive. In this passage, the thing that is offensive is coming from within, from inside the house. The thing that's going to lead you off of the path is already inside of you. It's your hand, it's your foot, it's whatever would teach you to not follow the path that Jesus has laid forth in front of you. It's part of the body in the Pauline sense, in context of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Matthew already brought up this point in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, following the teaching about adultery, about how you must cut off your eye or cut off your hand. That passage really emphasizes what you were saying a moment ago, Father, because the one who does not teach the entirety of the law, like the scribes and the Pharisees don't teach the entirety of the law, are the least in the kingdom of heaven. You are not allowed to scandalize the listener by not presenting all of Scripture. This is a requirement. Even if you think you are helping someone to not feel shocked or feel bad, if you are not teaching the entirety of the law, you are scandalizing them. Because here's the thing that's very tricky. When Jesus said to the disciples of John, the maimed are walking and the blind see, and blessed are those who are not scandalized. Well, why would that be scandalous? Wouldn't we expect the Messiah to be performing amazing works? If we're going to understand who Jesus is, we have to understand the entirety of Scripture. If we withhold any of Scripture, then we are preventing it. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. Again, this harkens back to to the Sermon on the Mount, although the same example appears in Mark. He does mention plucking out the eye. But here in Matthew, you hear reference to the eye, and you can't but think about the teaching that the eye is the lamp of the body. So he is admonishing his students here that they must be trained to see the world with the lamp of the gospel in their eye projecting onto the world. If there's darkness in that lamp, then discard the lamp, because you'll be better off. It's better off not to see than it is to see incorrectly and cause one of these little ones to stumble. Remember, if you hear it in context of the millstone, what would you rather be, blind or chained to a big millstone at the bottom of the Mississippi River. That's the choice. Now, you explain to me how that meets the definition of Western pastoralia. It does not. It falls very much in line with the attitude of Paul in 1 Corinthians, 
where he is ruthless in the way that he pastors for the sake of those in his care. We have a saying at work, it's better to have a bad meeting and a good life than a good meeting and a bad life. That is Bible 101, friends. It's better to have an uncomfortable sermon than a sermon that affirms and coddles. I don't think that we can overemphasize this because Matthew himself is the king of scandal, if you want to say it that way. The fact that this particular teaching about rooting out anything inside of you that might scandalize you, he has to say it twice in his book. The self-critique of the gospel is at its peak already in the book of Matthew at the beginning of the New Testament. You must be, O hearer, on your guard that nothing in you is pulling you off the path. Because the worst that can happen is that not only you send yourself to hell, but that you would take any of the little ones who trust in Jesus with you. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. This is the pivot. This is what brings us back to the original point about protecting the little ones. You, as the teacher, need to take extreme measures to ensure that you don't jeopardize the weaker brother. This is 1 Corinthians through and through. Jesus brings it back to this point. It is not for our own psychological well-being. It is so that we can serve. It is so that we can teach. This is the only thing that matters. God himself cares about these little ones. How much more so should you care about them? God is willing to do what it takes to take care of them. All you have to do is root out anything that pulls you off the path. Yes, scandal is inevitable, and you must do everything in your power to follow the teaching so that you are not one of those inevitable scandals that come into the world. Angels are the advocates. They are the ones speaking on behalf of the little ones. They are the apostles who bring the message to the little ones. They are the ones who set them on the path. If you are scandalizing these little ones, you are undermining the work of the apostle, of the messenger from God who brings this gospel to them. Everyone who has been working in service of the will of the Father has set their hope on the well-being of the lost sheep or the weaker brother, the one who is vulnerable. The teachers who brought the gospel to the Gentiles and labored over the Gentiles constantly advocate before God on behalf of their students. Paul advocated to Jerusalem before God on behalf of the Gentile churches the weakest always among us. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Everyone is fighting for these people, and you're jeopardizing them. So take care. Take whatever measures are necessary to ensure that you don't jeopardize those who are weak, 
vulnerable or lost because we're dealing with the shepherd who has only one concern, to keep his sheep on the path. So that all those who are following this way and that way or no way or the wrong way can be set on the path so that these sheep can be a flock. To be a flock, they need a shepherd. This shepherd brings a teaching, and the sheep are the little ones who would trust in Jesus, and so they stay on the path. We must do everything we can as hearers of this word to root out anything that would keep us from the path so that we, God forbid, do not cause these little ones to stumble. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.